This is the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Travis and his guest will discuss what it takes to consistently catch big smallmouth, and you'll get a glimpse inside the mind of a trophy smallmouth angler. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. My name is Travis Manson, another week talking smallmouth with the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. Learning so much, so much good information, and uh, I'm always excited to talk to our next uh, our next guest, our week's guest, because everybody has has really uh, opened up my eyes. I thought I knew a little bit about smallmouth fishing, but not after talking to these these guys that that are like the best of the best. Unbelievable stuff that we're learning. And I uh, hope you guys are appreciating this uh, podcast as well as the uh, viewers on my YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. So I want to thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. But before we go there, let's talk about the Real Shot. Of course, uh, Real Shot's quickly becoming the top stop for bass anglers across the country. Name brands, all the good stuff. Jackal, Mega Bass, Lucky Craft. Of course, your staple brands, Berkeley VMC. They got Z-Man. They got a bunch of rods. Get your St. Croix rods over there at the real shot. And guess what? You use my code smallmouthcrush15. You're going to get 15% off your first order. You can't beat that. Therealshot.com and let them know smallmouthcrush sent you. Simon, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? And I'm excited to talk with you because... A lot of people I've spoken to on this podcast, I would always kind of pick your pick their brains and be like, well, who else is a good stick that we need to talk to? And your name came up quite a bit. And so uh, I'm excited to what you have to share when it comes to smallmouth. You know, your passion, it's it's one of the, uh, uh, I mean, you, you're successful with it. You, you know how to put those big brown fish in the boat. And before we get into all this, I, I want to know a little bit more about you. Uh, and for the viewers at home, you know, a little bit of background on you as well as kind of what your what your plans are and what your future plans are when it comes to fishing. Well, I've been tournament fishing basically about, I don't know, I think about 23, 24 years now. Yeah. Got into it in 98. And uh, it's funny, I used to do a lot of salmon fishing, a lot of walleye fishing on the Great Lakes because, you know, I live in a great area. I got Lake Ontario five minutes from the house, Lake Erie, 20 minutes from the house. Mm. So I'm just surrounded by big fish. So I did that. And then actually I went out to Lake Erie once fishing with a buddy, smallmouth fishing. That was it. I was done. Really? I read everything else and just started just chasing, chasing smallies all the time. Just a phenomenal body of water. We just live in a great area and then um, started to expand. I mean, to go out to Lake St. Clair quite a bit. Up in Ontario, we got a phenomenal lake, Lake uh, Simcoe. Mm-hmm. Got giant smallies on it. Not huge numbers, but big fish. Hmm. You know, I mean, guys are catching eight pounders in the summer. Yeah. Big, big fish. And then, you know, I mean, it's still about three, four hours from the house, but I got Thousand Islands not far. So Man. just great fishing. I love chasing smallies. Love catching uh, uh, big ones all the time. But I mean, who doesn't? Mm-hmm. So. The future, I mean, I used to fish a lot of tournaments. At one time, I was probably fishing about 25, 30 tournaments a year. 
really scaled that back and probably doing maybe three or four right now. And of course, with what's going on and in the world right now, I mean, I only did one or two last year and we'll just kind of see how this year goes. Sure. I'd like to do about three or four this year, but we'll see. Is it just the fact that you got busy or is the passion still there? Do you, do you want to ramp it back up in the future to 2025 events a year or? Um, I don't know if I would do 2025 again. Uh That's that's a lot. I I, I would like to see myself doing between five and 10. Uh, I just got really busy with work. Mm -hmm. Uh, The passion's still there. I mean, we go out still, even if it's only half a day, four or five hours a day, we probably still go out four or five days a week. Mm. As much as we can. Right. So it's definitely the passion still there. Good, good. So you have obviously some of the best fishing around some of the best waters to fish when you think of smallmouth bass and the big waters, the great lakes come to mind, Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, it's right in your backyard with all these options, Simcoe, thousand islands. Like where would you like ideally go? Like if you could be like, this is where I'm fishing. If I could fish every single day, no question. It'd be Lake Erie. Would it? No question. It's a factory and you could do so many different things. If you could fish them shallow one day, then go mid depth and then go deeper and, and then out really deep, you can catch them as deep as uh, 50, 60 feet, or you can go as shallow as two. Mm-hmm. So you can fish them any way you want. You know, basically you let the fish decide that and, um, you know, seasonal patterns, but summertime there's fish all over that lake. You yeah, just it truly is. Out. So what it's, would it's, you, what would you say your favorite, uh, way to catch him would be um probably i've got two or three drop shot of course okay tubes yeah. swim baits uh swim baits on a football head just a killer technique up here mm-hmm. um bit of jerk baits uh, i don't really chase the shallow ones too often i like to stay out a bit deeper because i find that the bigger ones are especially in the summer are deeper mm-hmm so I'm always looking for big fish. But you mentioned 60 foot at times. And yeah. I know Lake Erie's known for that. You know, it, it's interesting. Uh I fish a lot of the Great Lakes as well. And it seems like every Great Lake kind of has a limit as far as the depth that you'll normally consistently catch them. And there's certain times of the year on Lake Erie when you have to be probing in that 50, 60 foot range at times. And it's just, there's something magical about it because it's kind of, it's a little bit away from the norm. Yes. You know, unless you're familiar with the, uh, fishing real deep like that, uh, some people are intimidated by it. So Simon, walk me through like the process of you, you know, it's the right time of the year, say midsummer these fish are going to be a little bit deeper than at least a few schools will be. And maybe you're just fishing for single fish. I'd I love to pick your brain on that. What are you ideally looking for when you're looking at those deeper depths and why are you going that deep? Well, I find that, you know, when it's especially midsummer, surface temperature can be as high as 80 degrees. I find the bigger ones, especially they're going to be eating smelt, stuff like that. So they're going to go deeper. The smelt go deeper the big fish, the real big fish go deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a little tricky because a lot of times those fish are always moving. The schools of smelt are moving, 
but I, I do find that good population of really big fish, even though you'll find some suspended, they suspend over structure. So what I'm looking for, I'm always basically looking for transitions out there, whether it's sand rock, sand mud, rock mud, something like that. Even just small rock piles, right? Always looking for a change in structure. And what you'll find is you'll find even the fish that are suspending are suspending above that structure, chasing the smelt. And then you might fish them one day, let's say on a Monday you'll go, and you'll catch a bunch of big fish off it. You go back there Tuesday, there's nothing. They've moved to a different spot. You come back Wednesday, and there's another school there. There's always schools moving in. So basically transitions, those sort of spots, I always like to address those as like the um, the rest stop on the side of the highway. Mm -hmm. You pull in there, you get some food, you take off, go to the next one, you get some rest, that sort of thing. And they're always moving around like that. Um it's almost impossible to chase the big roaming schools. It's like chasing walleye because they just move around and they off they go. But the other ones that they, if you can find those deep transitions, they're going to hold fish. And even if they're suspended, they're still catchable. You yeah. just kind of have to change up what you do. Whether uh, spoons in the summer, um, Unless you like catching a lot of sheephead spoons in the summer, I don't really throw them. Once the temperature goes down to about 50 degrees. So let's say you've got fish, and I mean, we've had great success doing this. Uh, you're fishing 50 feet of water. The fish are holding 35 feet down. So they're 15 feet off the bottom. Too deep for a crankbait. Run your drop shot at 15 feet. It doesn't matter. You're going to fish them vertically anyway. Or uh, do a technique that somebody just used uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Yep. And I know it's got a couple different names. Uh, sure. And the moping, the mopping, mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. suspend, suspend that bait right above their head. Have you always had, and maybe I'm, I don't want to speak for yourself, but do you have uh, forward facing sonar right now? Do you use that? Not right now. Uh, exclusively okay. have Hummingbird on the boat. Uh, that should be released shortly. Right. Hopefully. And uh, for sure, definitely going to pick up one of those. I'm, you know, running the uh, the Mega 360. Yeah. Phenomenal piece of of, um, of equipment. I mean, I was, I've always ran side imaging on the front of the boat. Actually, basically the year after it came out. So it came out in like 2005. And as soon as I, I got it, I put it on the nose of the boat too. Because even though I couldn't get that clear picture, because you're looking for transitions, because you're looking for um, change in structure, it wouldn't show me a clear picture, but I could see basically out to the right side, there'd be a rock pile. Or even then you turn your trolling motor, and I could look out to the front of the boat and see where the transition turns. But now with that Mega 360, no problem. I mean, it just shows up rock piles perfectly. Yeah. And it's really cool. Cause we were doing this last year. So you would, you would spot lock on a spot, keep your eye on the 360 and you could actually see the fish moving in and out off the rocks. And you just watch it refresh. It's all of a sudden a fish should be there. So you just cast right at that fish. And it that sounds really like water. Yeah. It sounds like 
when you're looking for those deeper fish, you're looking for the, the transition zones that, that, that are holding them. So it's a lot of idle time, right? It's a lot of, uh, looking, I know you probably have a bunch of waypoints and spots and you definitely want to check that, but if you're looking for new stuff, what do you recommend doing? Uh, is it just seat time and, and idling? Seat time, idling. And I tell you, I found some of my best spots running at about 60 miles an hour. You know, one that we ran, that we won about, um, like we won, uh, first year they had this tournament up here. We won the first event, came second in the second year, won the third year, all off a spot that we found doing 60 miles an hour. Mm. And it's just look for the change. And then when you see that change in bottom, so you're looking at the bottom. So you, big thing is sonar setup. Mm-hmm. You always want to keep your eyes on your sonar, even if you're just going in for the day, because you don't take the same track every day. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for just little changes. And you can see that if your sonar set up right. And I got really lucky. It's it set up perfect yeah. on the back of the boat. So I'm running you have a very nice thin line. So soft bottom. Then all of a sudden, you just see it thicken up. GPS it, go back and check it. And I find a lot of stuff doing that. Uh-huh. I mean, idle time, you, you've got to do that. You got to, you got to just, you know, like once you find a bunch of spots, you got to go back, you got to idle around, you got to side image the spots, try and figure out the spot on the spot. Mm. But um, I know what I think I'm most effective when we're running and then slow down and go back and check it out. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I first got introduced to that technique uh, years ago and it looked so foreign to me. Uh, it was actually on Lake Erie and there was, a an, an open going on and I was, I was so new. I was just, why are these people like driving 20, 25 miles an hour? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- where are you going to go, dude? What are you doing? No, they were looking at their graphs and it was like, you know, I was so new. I was like, I couldn't fake. I, it took me a while to put the pieces together but that is certainly a uh, a technique that to locate that structure that really is effective because you can cover so much more water instead of idling, looking for fish. Now you're just trying to find that secluded, isolated. Because a lot of these spots, they're not on the map, right? It's not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's on the map, it's uh, <laughs> it's community hall. But the problem is electronics are so good these days. If it's close to a spot on the map somebody's going to find it. Mm-hmm. So you got to just go keep finding different stuff. Even though those spots hold fish, I think you need to, and it's getting tougher and tougher all the time because electronics are getting so good. You need to find the isolated spots. Yeah. Even if you're only going to pull a couple fish off them, you pull a couple big fish off a small rock pile and you've got 10 of them. Well, now that could be 20 big fish. So, you just got to keep moving around and GPS everything. I mean, I've got used to mention I might have a few spots. I got one graph that's full that holds 3,000 waypoints, and I've got another one that's half full. So wow. it's got a crazy amount of waypoints. Sure. And I mean, they're not all good all the time. Yep. I, wish, I wish they were. Yeah. It'd be very easy then. Yeah, right. Um, so do you have a goal like every year? Do you like, I want to find. X amount of new spots or do you, do you kind of, do you think of it like that or what? I'm always looking for something new. Do you, how often do you find like something totally different and amazing? Once or twice a year. Yeah. That's it. I mean, 
you'll find something, you know, you're always finding something. Okay. But finding a really good spot that that's tough Mm -hmm. because it's got to have everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I mean, on Lake Erie, uh, it's got to be, you know, the natural current helps. Like it's so funny. The U S side and the Canadian side are so different. Is it? Okay. Same body of water, completely different. Which side do you prefer? Honest. Um, most of the time, U.S. side. You do? Okay. Yeah. Canadian side can be really good. But majority of the time, the, the U.S. side holds bigger fish. And I think that has to do with current flow. Um, of course, the, the prominent winds are southwest up here. So the way it, the way it blows... But uh, right now we can't fish the U.S. side, so yeah, 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 with the borders being closed. So the the smelt is the bait of choice, I guess, for some of these deeper fish. Is that what so you're alluding to? Yes, yes, smelt because um, the smelts are so fatty. I mean, gobies are always a big thing, but I find that the really big ones really go after the smelt all the time. Nomadic, yeah. though, they roam. They roam. Now, when the gobies first showed up, we had a stellar bunch of years because you literally could fish anywhere. Uh, you know, it didn't matter. Those fish weren't leaving. There was just big fish around all the time. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're reverting back to uh, roaming around, chasing smelt. Man, I agree. Smelt population exploded again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now- you know, a lot of times you hear guys say, oh, we're going we're to go out and find some bait fish. I run away from bait fish. You do. You know, there's certain times on the Eastern Basin around Buffalo, we've gone across schools of bait fish that are, you know, 20, 30 feet thick and five miles long. I'm gone. I want to get out of that area. Okay. I'm sure there's fish there. Yeah. They're not going to want to hit my bait. Too many They're options. Cold. Yeah. So the deeper transition zones with perhaps bait fish but just not super stacked yes do you find a bunch of i know i know there's a good population of walleyes are you running into that situation when you're looking for smallmouth as well kind of a combination or uh quite often yeah yeah we we catch a lot of walleye fishing for smallmouth what do you do in the situation where you're you're you pull up to an area you're marking some fish you start making some casts whether it be drop shot, you know, whatever the, whatever the case, and you find out that they're walleyes, are you sticking around or are you out of there? Um, it depends. Tournament wise, we'll, we'll give it a little bit because you get a lot of big fish mixing in with those walleyes, mm-hmm. uh, fun fishing wise. Yeah. We're going to catch a bunch of the walleyes, bring them home. <laughs> right. But, um, uh, turn, we won't, you know, if you're not catching any bass, just walleyes and you're just going to leave. But normally if you're catching the walleyes that are close to the bottom, you get some big fish mixed in, big bass mixed in with Good them. to know. Sure. And then, um, you know, drop shots, good tubes are good. Ned rig is good. Just going a little heavier on the Ned rig. I mean, three eighths up to half ounce. And that's what you'll fish when you're probing those deeper depths. Yes. Yeah. What would be like your drop shot bait of choice when you're fishing that deep? Because, you know, we mentioned, of course, there is gobies, but now we're dealing with some smelt. So is it a goby oriented bait that you're trying to mimic or is it a smelt bait that you're trying to mimic? Um, 
I think color plays more into it there. Like you've got a bunch of good baits out there that mimic um, small minnows, smelt. Um, basically, I think if you want to emulate a goby, you just lower the drop shot closer mm-hmm. to the bottom. And sometimes that's all they want too. So you got to let them figure out, you know, you tell you what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, higher up, I think it just changed the color a bit, go more bait fish color. And then you're emulating the smelt and the bait fish, emerald shiners. Yeah. But uh, but it's interesting. I mean, you we've seen it so many times out there where you have to run your drop shot about three inches from the bottom. But if you run a tube, they won't touch it. Hmm. If it's directly on the bottom, they want nothing to do with it. But if it's just above the bottom, they'll eat it. Three inches. Yeah. You what lose would, a ton of drop shot weights uh, doing that. Sure. What would you say your the length of the leader to the hook, the longest that you've that you use on a regular basis? How high would you go? Uh, I'll let my electronics tell me. Okay. So really, and and it's so if I had to tie the night before, I'll do 18, 24 inches. Mm-hmm. But just to have it ready. But if we get out there and the fish are, are three feet up, then we'll just retie and go three feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said before, for a while, we were drop shotting them 15 feet. You're not casting that, but you're throwing it over the side of the boat. Yep. Now we're great. Um, so basically, I'll just watch the electronics, watch my hummingbird, mm-hmm. and they'll let me tell me how high to run it. And if mm-hmm. they're belly to the bottom, then I'll just put the drop shot down, try a tube try a Ned rig, something like that. And then if they don't hit those, go back to the drop shop or lower it. Right. Now, of course, the tube's been around forever. Extremely effective way to catch smallmouth. Yeah. There's so many different ways to work it. And talking to some of these uh, anglers that really know how to catch smallmouth over the course of this year, they really prefer either kind of a, a, a drag and stop or a cracking of a tube, uh, really working that bait hard to get those reaction strikes. What do you find yourself doing more often than not with the tube? Again, depends on the fish. Does it? Sometimes okay. it's just a basic cast and drag, and other times just a hop. Mm-hmm. Um, cracking it in deep water, I don't find super effective. Not for myself, anyway. Shallower fish really like that sometimes but uh, so if i'm going to pull up on a spot i know the fish are there i'll do a couple of casts just straight drag then i'll try and swim it back hop it back and then give it a, you know and sometimes just a quick shake so you you're you're slowly dragging it back and just quickly shake the rod tube not much just mm-hmm. quickly shake the tip just a little bit and it's just enough to get them going man fascinating there's so much there's so much that goes into it you did mention yep. Uh, swim baits and football heads. Talk to me about that. Is that technique going to be for the deeper water or are you kind of in that 20 to 40 or are you up shallow with that? Or maybe a whole wide range of of all of it. Mm -hmm. I'll just change, change the weight of the head. And uh, when we're out deep anywhere, basically over 30, 35 feet, um, three quarter ounce, go shallower, just lighten it up. And I, I probably wouldn't throw anything under a quarter ounce, mm-hmm. probably three eighths, yep. even in, you know, four or five feet of water. 
So are you dragging that just like you would a tube or are you slow swimming it constantly? Exactly the same way. I would great last year was just drag it, lift, let it drop back down to the bottom, drag it, lift. And by the time, you know, you go to do the next lift, mm-hmm. you'd be on it. Wow. And just killer wow. technique. And it's, uh, it guys have been doing that up here for, I think since around mid two thousands, remember when a friend of mine came to me about it and we uh, had to modify a a mold hmm. just so it would work. Mm-hmm. And it it works. It worked really well. And he had it down to a science when he first started doing it. Yeah. So that those deeper fish, a three quarter football. Are you going to throw that on a bait cast or a spinning uh, rod setup? Um, you could do either or, mm-hmm. whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, a lot of guys just stay with the with, with the spinning, and then uh, honestly, I'll I'll let the fish tell me almost basically what to run. So I'll run the same pound line. And so, what is that? Are are you braid to floral? Or are you straight floral? I would run on those basically almost anything. I'm braid to fluoro, mm-hmm. five pound power pro yeah. to a six to 12 pound leader, depends. Yeah. Yep. And um, if I'm, if the fish are more picking it, so you got to drop back to them and hit them, then I'll throw a spinning rod because I get a little, you know, you, you got to give them a little bit more time. With a bait yeah. caster, I find if they're just giving it the one smack, I get more hookups using a bait caster because you're always in that striking uh-huh. and the line's always tight on a bait caster. Yeah. You don't have to worry about picking the line up. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I mean, there's there's so much that goes into it. Talk to me about that mid-depth, you know, that 15 to 40. Uh, when you're out there, it's a lot of the same techniques, I assume. You're still looking for those transitions, whether it be rock yep. to sand, rock to to, to mud. Um, do you find that those fish are a little more pressured in that zone, or can you find some isolated areas still to this day that are a little bit out of the way if you concentrate um, in in the standard depth? You know that most guys, when they think of smallmouth and deeper water, you know twenty to forties kind of that's my comfort zone. You know. If, as long as you stay up to beaten path, basically, it's a great big body of water. There's lots of lots of structure out there, so you can still find some that uh, aren't pressured. But I mean that uh, that 15 to, to 20 foot range is great too, because now that opens up crankbaits and everything else. So, do you throw a lot of crankbaits? I throw quite a few. Wow! You know when uh, when they're suspended a little bit, or I know uh-huh. they're feeding on uh, on bait quite a bit. Um. Early season is really good for that until about mid mid June on the U.S. side and on the because it's really weird on the U.S. side they spawn earlier than the Canadian side whether that's the way the water temperature is pushed over or mm-hmm. sunlight I you know I really have no explanation for it though because a lot of the fish on the U.S. side they're done by mid June. Mm-hmm. and canada we still see them in beds in uh, july yeah. yeah so i mean crankbait is just killer especially when those big females like to 
come off the beds and they go and suspend over, you know, 20, 30 feet of water. Crankbait's amazing for getting those fish to bite. What are you looking for in an area to throw a crankbait? I mean, is it the same deal? Like transition, are you marking them on the graph? And then that's what you're, you know, why do you choose that over say, getting over these fish and watch them on the graph and dropping down with a drop shot or throwing a tube. What well, makes it, you decide to throw a crankbait? In right after the big female spawn, they'll go and they'll suspend over, you know, 20, 30 feet of water. They might be five, six feet off the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they're, they're loners and they're just kind of hovering. So you watch your graph and they'll, they'll do the same thing. They'll go suspend around transitions, anything like that. And, Basically, you just cover a lot of water with it, mm-hmm. with it with a crankbait. And I mean, it's again, you got to watch. You know, you watch your graph, so you throw in your crankbait, and then you can actually see the fish chase your crankbait in. You bring it up; they don't bite. Just drop a tube down. Right. Yeah. Get their attention. You catch a lot of fish doing that. So I mean, it's a great search technique, and uh, you can do really well off it. I mean, you cover a lot of water, and you get those big females to come in on it. Uh huh. And those are fish that, like a lot of people, are just convinced they're walleye, so they don't even bother fishing for them. Sure, I can see that. So, top two crankbaits that you're going to have tied on. Top two. Hmm. I would say basically, you know, the, the standby is the DT16. Okay. Yep. Kind of tough to go going down 16 feet. Yeah. And a Norman's DD22. Yeah. If I had to pick two, that'd be two. That's awesome, man. I, and obviously those have watched the, uh, every guest we hear a lot about crankbaits and, and, um, DT 14, 16s, DT twenties, DD 22. There's a couple old school guys. Frank Scalish was a big fan of the, uh, DD 22, of course. Uh, I'm just curious, like, what is it about? That bait, the DD twenty two. I mean, it's been around forever. Yep. Um, it, it there's nothing fancy about it. They're still pretty, you know, reasonably priced compared to some of the other crankbaits out there. I, know, Yet, I do real well. I think it's just a. It's got a nice wobble to it. Uh huh. It's just a good bait, and they have again. They haven't tried anything fancy with it. Sure. So they had something that worked, you know, thirty years ago. Why change it? Uh huh. Keep it the same, change a couple colors here and there. I love those baits. Yeah. You know, it's a, and one bait, a shallow bait that still slams them all the time um, is Big O. Hmm. Bait still works. Yeah. Dang. You know, and, and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with some of the others. I mean, some of the Jackal stuff and the Mega Bass stuff. You go spend 30, 40 bucks on a crankbait, but mm-hmm. if the fish don't bite it, yeah, yeah. Uh, bait fish colors for those crankbaits? Are you getting a little crazy at all on colors or pretty standard? Uh, I, I tried going crazy on the colors and uh, just basic bait fish colors. Right. Yeah. And then the other one, uh, white chartreuse. Got to have a little um, chartreuse. A few other lakes that's basically just, just the color to have in the boat, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Man. So, especially when the water's a little dirty. I'm curious to uh, to know as far as uh, your rod setup for those DT16s, DD22s. 
uh, low gear ratio reel. I'm I'm assuming. I don't want to speak for yourself, but sometimes it's hard to th- to to reel that DT22 in all day long, right? It can wear you out. That's for sure. Uh, six to one. Okay. Yeah. Throwing on a uh, 7.11 rod, nice long casts, and as long as as long as the uh, it's balanced, mm-hmm. you know you, you're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. As far as tournaments and you know your success in the past, uh, you know out there, is it something that you, you know? What do you think makes you so successful? Like, is it just experience or is it the fact that you're able to really dial things in on that given day uh spots i mean what makes you so good if i had to credit a lot of it i'd I'd have to say uh electronics electronics sure yeah you know like i know a lot of people are saying now you know it's turning into a video game fishing Mm -hmm. been doing that for since the beginning I can't see what's going on in 40 feet. So your eyes never leave your graph ever. So you have to know what you're fishing and you have to know the structure around you. And I think just knowing where a lot of big fish like to be, because I mean, you've got, you can have great spots and I know this is large mouth, small mouth, doesn't matter. You can have spots at whole fish, but then you can have big fish spots. Enormous. You catch fish there, he's going to be big. Well, on the Great Lakes, you can have like big fish spots, but there's lots of big fish there. It just holds big fish. Mm -hmm. And it all has, you know, the same sort of stuff. You just have to find it. And that's where knowing what you're fishing all the time and what's around you underneath the boat all the time. And that's why you see a lot of these guys. Uh, you know, big water fishermen, their head is always down. Always. Like you could literally idle up to somebody. Sure. He has no yep. Clue there. yep. He doesn't even know you've pulled up next to him because yeah. his eyes do not come off that graph. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've talked, I've had a few tournaments where I talked to my buddy and he goes, well, How'd you do on that spot? I was oh, pretty good. But yeah, we were just next to you. <laughs> didn't even know. Didn't notice you. And then I ask another friend and he'd be like, I didn't see anybody. <laughs> Is your eyes are stuck on the graph. Yeah, yeah. And I think just uh, knowing what you're fishing, because I don't think a lot of people understand exactly like, oh, you know, I've got this good spot out there. Well, but what is why? it? Yeah. Well, it's a good spot. Okay, why is it a good spot? Is it, does it have rock? Does it have gravel? Is, is there deep water close to it? Is there mud close to it? Is there sand? Is it, a, you know, like a transition, a long transition, you know, and they just... They don't quite understand it. So when that spot no longer pans out, because I think a lot of these fish move because they're not stupid. You catch a bunch of their buddies. Mm-hmm. It breaks up the school. And you do that over a period of time and they just stop going back to that spot. Because you say, you know, guys, smallmouth guys, oh, my spot dried up. There's no reason for it to dry up except the fish don't go there anymore. And that's why you can run to a spot five years later and it's loaded again. Exactly. You got all new fish on there. I know. I'm so hoping that some of my spots start showing up with fish again, because it's been, uh, it's been dry for a while in a lot of these areas. That leads me to my next question. When you're fishing a tournament, you have things dialed in and you got fish located and you go to the area 
and I'm sure this has happened hundreds of times to you. You go there and the fish are gone. Yep. Are you in panic mode? Let's no. say it's 10 o'clock and you don't have a fish. How, how do you keep cool? Like what is your confidence to know that, hey, I've been here before. I'm going to get this job done somewhere. But what goes through your mind? Like how are you trying to get through your day when you're when your areas that you really thought the night before in your head was going to be the deal. Oh, I've seen it so many times. <laughs> right. I think we all have. Yeah. And some of those spots are the furthest away. <laughs> yeah. So you just basically just try and have, Oh, it's difficult sometimes to try and have two, three spots. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you're marking fish, you now there's a difference, especially here in the fall. And I know this goes on all over the place and the fish just won't bite. Like you're sitting on 10,000 fish, but you cannot get one to bite. Then you just have to wait it out. Wait it out. Okay. Yeah. Just, just back off them because they're there. Do you see them having little windows at all out there when they will turn on? Yeah. But the problem is I think a lot of times, especially in September, October, some of my best, like big fish have come, but after five o'clock hmm. as the sun starts to settle. Hmm. So I think they start to feed at night. Later on the reason, year. Okay. They sense that the change, there's, there's something changing. The currents changed. Uh, something like that has changed and it just happens every year. And it starts basically in September and it goes on for about six weeks. And it is frustrating. <laughs> right. Because you're just sitting there looking at these fish and you're like, oh. yep. And you're like, no, they're not bass. No, not this time. You drop your camera down. Yep. They're bass and yeah. there's lots and they won't bite. Yeah. You brought up a good point. I, I recommend anyone that's going to fish big water, clear water, where you can get a good visual. Of course, the underwater camera comes into play. Some people may not be as familiar of what different species look like on their graph. I've been fooled before. Oh, yeah. I, I always say, before you start changing baits and colors, go check out what those fish actually are, because you'd be surprised. You might have some sheep head, might have some yep. walleye, or you might have that crazy big-ass school of, uh, of smallmouth that just, I, I know exactly what you mean, thousands of them, and they don't I mean, want to do nothing. Nope. Uh -huh. And then once they turn on that small window, it's just insane. Uh, it yeah. goes ballistic, and then it shuts off. Mm -hmm. But that's, I find it normally later in the day for whatever reason. Interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, that time I would say if I had to, all the tournaments I fished in, let's say September, October, most of my big fish have come after 12 o'clock as the day progresses. That says something. Yeah. Wow, you drive you nuts in the morning. <laughs> right. You know, oh, you're just sitting on all these fish. And say, okay. They just won't bite. And then you're just going through different baits, just trying to trigger one or two. What's your most memorable uh, tournament, either win or just a just a high finish, just kind of sticks out? Most memorable would probably be, well, the first event, I, first bass tournament we ever fished, I fished it with a friend of mine, Ernie. And it's like we couldn't do any wrong. Uh -huh. And it was a two-day event, and we ended up winning that. And the very first thing he said to me, he says, this doesn't happen all the time. Because we couldn't do anything wrong. You know, we fished one, we fished Lake Erie, and then we went down to the lower Niagara, Lake Ontario. 
and nobody fished bass at that time on Lake Ontario, mm -hmm. on our end anyway. This is going back in 98. And I was like, we just kind of moved around a little bit, and then we just caught the heck out of them. And that'd be, but most memorable win. Man, there's been so many. Mm. There's so many. Just uh, first big event I won was 2000. Won the Canadian Open up here, and I won that out of a 16 foot aluminum. Uh, wow! Killer boat because that's all I had. Uh -huh. So that was that was fantastic. And then the last one we won was a couple of years ago, um, the Canadian Tire Open up here, and uh, that was great. We just again we just got onto some nice fish and. Everything went right. It went right because we just waited them out. And every bite we got was big. We didn't catch a lot of fish. And it was just a lot of fun. Dang. What's your biggest uh, personal best smallmouth? Seven and a half. Nice. That's a serious yeah. fish there. Where where'd you catch that out of? What lake? Uh, lake Erie. Lake Erie? Yeah. Yeah, I've got uh, three of them at seven and a half. Dang. Trying to get a, you know, a seven... Seven five one would be nice. Uh -huh. No, no it's just exact oh, every time. So I'm not complaining. I mean, no fish. So was were those deeper fish or, or shallow or walk me uh, through the how you catch them? Those um, tube fish transition um, late October, early November. Okay, yeah. And two of them came off the exact same spot, years apart. Just a big fish spot. You know, it's just one of those spots where, where you go and say, okay, we're not going to get many. If we go here, we can catch some big ones. And you do. And throughout the years, do you have uh, a handful of those areas where it's proven you've, you've been there so many times and you just, you kind of know that this particular area is a big fish spot. Do you ever see a change where, man, there's a bunch of fish here this day. And then the next day, it's just a couple decent size, like, good fish or is it kind of consistent to what um, what, we, what we were talking about earlier where it's just one or two good ones it's fairly consistent um I've, I've seen it change over the years where you know for a couple of years it's a really good big fish spot like giant fish and then you get um um decent fish off it for a few years then it go back to giant fish again you know, you, you normally know if you hook one there, it's not going to be small. So the, the spots can be fairly consistent. Do you find yourself, anyway. do you find yourself getting away from the crowds during a tournament? Are you one of those guys that likes to, uh, won't think twice of making a, a run where you barely have enough fuel to get back? No, no problem there at all. You like, if it. I got to run, we'll run. You love it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's terrible, but I mean that's even just for fun fishing too. If we're gonna fun <laughs> fish, I'll try and I'll try and of course launch, launch close. closer. Yeah, yep. but if I can't, then we're gonna run. And I and I don't like fishing crowds. I really mm -hmm. don't. I just think that you know everybody gets a couple good fish, and it just shuts everything off. Man, so, that's that's a good. I mean, really, the whole moral of this podcast, I think, is. Being more intimate with your electronics, knowing what you're looking at down there, getting comfortable with noticing transition and what that actually means 
hard bottom to soft. I get just like you were saying, little uh, rest stops along the yeah. way, places for these fish to kind of feed and and then continue on. Because more and more often, I'm finding that if I want to stay on top of fish on the Great Lakes and, and competitive, I got to keep looking. I got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And I can't get comfortable with spots where I know you've won a ton of tournaments, but how often are you winning off of the same locations the next year? Or does that still happen? That last one we spoke about where we did the one, uh, won the first one, second, the year after, won the third. That's the last time. Normally you don't win. Uh, Isn't that crazy? And whether it's because of timing, whether it's because the fish moved, or whether it's become a popular spot. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot. It does, yes. A friend of mine, um, he basically says when you fish a tournament and you win off a spot, you basically sold your spot. You're done. Is what you've done. I agree. It's crazy. I, I look back on whether it be tournaments or just awesome days out there and you might have a good summer on a certain area. And then the next summer it's like dead. It's like yeah. gone. Yeah. Not happening. No. And you still go back off. every time because <laughs> you because, remember. Because you're convinced I can get those. I just missed them. They're not there. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's just, just if you run over it, I constantly do that. Mm-hmm. run and stop and it's like no they're still not here and i just take off <laughs> something else and it's yeah. like well why aren't they here and it yeah. doesn't make any sense but something's changed whether that again we talked about it before that school of fish that you were hitting just said no i'm not going there anymore mm-hmm. because i know if i went to a certain gas station every day and somebody knocked me on the head i'd stop <laughs> right. i'd stop you going would. to that gas station true story yes so, yes if I had to give you one bait to use for the rest of the year for smallmouth, and that's all you can throw, you're allowed one bait to go have as much fun as you want with it. What bait are you going to be choosing? Could I throw it any way any, I want? Any way you want. Give me about a three to three and a half inch swim bait. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I can throw that any way I want. I can drag it on the bottom. I can swim it. I can twitch it. I can put it on a drop shot. Yep. You can do whatever I want with that swim bait. Yeah. Good choice. Now we're going to go one step further. Color. One color? One color. Hmm. I would basically say like a green and white smallmouth magic. Smallmouth magic. Yep. Great color no matter where you go. I mean, green pumpkin's always good, but no, I'd have to say smallmouth magic. All right. That says a lot, man. Uh, I know with the success you had, I would suggest uh, people go pick up some smallmouth magic colored swim baits. That green and white, it just, it's, it's a great combination. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you, when you're swimming it or you're hopping it, the fish see the flash of the white on the belly, the green mm-hmm. on the back. So it could be mm-hmm. a bait fish feeding. It could be um, uh, a light goby swimming along. It depends again. If you drag it on the bottom, just all they see is the green back swimming. They don't see the white. Because, I mean, I, I 
we tell you know you people talk about goby colors what goby colors they change color several times depends on the depth depends on the the clarity of the water depends on whether they're spawning or not you know some people oh the, you know the black gobies yeah the male gobies when they're spawning they turn black and they're super aggressive gobies change colors all the time yeah so i don't think there's one color but if i had to do that one it'd be that one gotcha man that's good that's good stuff Listen, Simon, we are, we're running out of time. This was uh fascinating. I know you are uh, truly are one of the top smallmouth bass anglers in North America. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, talking about a little bit of uh, techniques and really fascinated about that deep water. That's an area I feel comfortable with. I just don't spend as much time in that deeper, deeper stuff. So uh, thanks to you. I'm going to take a little deeper look if you will uh next time i'm out there and see if i can find some of these fish uh, if people want to uh follow you at all do you have any presence on social media or how can they keep up with what you're doing and yeah, uh on, if you want to uh, talk about that a little bit facebook instagram i honestly don't post as much as i should but i'm going to mm-hmm. do a little bit more but um sure uh just uh, facebook is is just simon frost and then um instagram is I believe that's uh, Simon Frost, Iceman. Iceman. So, What's yeah, the name behind that? Gave me that, uh, that nickname years and years ago. He used to uh, actually MC tournaments up here. He's now MCing tournaments down in your area. And he's doing the elites. Ah. Oh. So Mercer gave me that nickname years Mercer, ago. Mercer, really? Yeah. Iceman. Yeah, and he's the one that actually, with the saying, you sold your spot? Ah, that's him. So, so true. So yeah. true. We're actually going to have Dave on to wrap up the whole podcast. Oh, nice. Uh, at the end of the year to kind of, I figure, of course, he's a great smallmouth angler, but yeah. he's around some of these top guys all the time. And I think hearing a perspective from him, you know, what, what he sees different in these guys uh, that can consistently go out and stay focused in some of the worst harsh fishing conditions imaginable. Yeah. And they do um, well. In, under yeah. Those all the time, all the time. So that'll be a fascinating uh, podcast as well, but that'll wrap up season one for us uh, here at the Smallmouth crush podcast. Again, Simon, thanks for joining us. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Best of luck in the future. And uh, I want to thank our viewers and listeners today. And we'll definitely have another great podcast next week for everybody. So thank you, Simon. Thank you. Awesome. And as always, until next time, we'll see you guys on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Water.